0: having seen what that does to students and how that changes the culture at the Kennedy School once students are back, it's really further pushes me to continue this type of work.
1: Hello and welcome to the Kennedy School Review podcast. I'm Prachi. I'm Phoenix. And we have a guest with us tonight. Our guest is Samra Hajuj. He's a second-year public policy student here at the Kennedy School. And our other guest, you all know very well at this point.
2: It's still me. It's Phoenix.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we're happy to have both of them here tonight. And the topic of conversation for this week um, is going to come back to policy, of course, as all things do. But before that, it's going to take a little journey. So at the Kennedy School, we have um, an experience called Trex. Uh, Treks are opportunities for students to go on trips, um, either domestically or abroad, um, and these generally happen during the breaks. So either spring break or J-term, sometimes there's treks that's um, a sort of a a, a window in between semesters. So the reason that we've got Samra and Phoenix here tonight is because they lead treks of their own. So I'm going to hand it over to them. Phoenix, what trek do you lead?
2: Yeah, so um, mine was a little unusual in that it was part of a seminar. So it actually took place early in October, and we went to Maine for a few days to learn about rural economic development. So we traveled around to different parts of the state. We hit a few small towns, Harpswell, Skowhegan, Bethel, my hometown in Norway, uh, including a few others along the way. The idea just being to get students seeing a little bit of a different side of uh, the U.S., really, New England, you know, small towns that they might not have exposure to otherwise.
1: Awesome. Very cool. And so we go from Maine to?
2: Palestine. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Tell us about that.
2: So
0: the Palestine track is um, one of the largest at the Kennedy School in in terms of size. Right. And the reason is we really want to get as many people coming to Palestine uh, as possible. Um, We do the trip, the trek, during spring break uh, every year, and this is going to be the 12th year, and we'll be taking 120 HKS students. Last year, we decided to expand and branch out and decentralize amongst uh, Harvard graduate schools, and now we have two additional Palestine treks at HBS and HLS. Um, Each one of those schools is also taking 60 people at the same time, and so it's a lot of coordination with them. But... You know, we we do spend a lot of time in the West Bank. Uh, We spend some time uh, in historic Palestine, in Nazareth, in Haifa, in Ramallah, in Hebron. Some cities can be very emotionally draining as students are exposed to things that they've studied but haven't really seen or felt before. So it's really, um, we try and make it a, a, a really comprehensive trip, if you will.
1: And I can attest to that. So I went on the Palestine trek last year, um, and, yeah, it was a totally life-changing experience. So thank you for that, Samar. Of course. So, Phoenix, how many people went on your trip? Uh,
2: There's a couple dozen.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right, so we've got trips of different scales. Yeah. We've got trips of different scopes. Um, and both of you organized these trips. That's right. Okay. I,
0: I had a team. <laughs> well, same. Yeah, same. Yeah. No, okay. I mean, it, yeah. it's a lot of work, as yeah. I'm right. sure you can imagine. Um Last year we were a team of three, and of course we have help on the ground because that's something also that that is required in terms of logistics, booking of hotels and buses and transportation, etc. It's um it's kind of a hassle.
1: And for our listeners, you're both from these places. I guess that's important. Yes. To, to clarify, yeah. 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 <laughs> these are places you have you have deep personal relationships too.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I was born and raised in this town in Norway, which we did swing through and we um, ended up actually meeting quite a lot of my family uh, <laughs> which was
1: part of the uh, main experience yeah,
2: certainly interesting you know introducing a couple dozen students i mean really in any in any scenario from any school but you know especially graduate school and then you know going up to uh to my hometown and my mom is a dance teacher and she was very excited to just like teach everyone to dance, which is very, well, she, te- she teaches a variety of stuff. It's like, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was very silly, but anyways, yeah, it is, It does add, I think an interesting lens leading a trip to a place that you're actually from and you spent a fair yeah, amount of time. Yeah.
0: It's funny you say that because I too invited 25 people, uh, about 25 people to my home and they too met my mom. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> She made <laughs> so, incredible food.
0: Yeah, it was delicious. <laughs> actually, part of the joke is that I'm only um, doing this so that I can go back and eat the food. It's just <laughs> one of my favorite parts. Um, yeah, and so. it's
1: worth it's worth that journey. But so, Phoenix, I actually don't think it's silly at all. I mean, to to have these deeply personal, intimate experiences in these places. And I guess, you know, my biggest question is... I came to the Kennedy School wanting to engage in these types of experiences, just in terms of going to places that I had never imagined going before or felt like I couldn't go before and now, you know, have this like really special access to in a way. I couldn't, I I cannot even, even really imagine what it's like to be on the other end of that, to come here and be willing to surface such... A personal, close part of yourself for others' consumption, not just not just politically, but I mean, culturally and in this like really humanistic way. Can you guys speak to that?
0: Yeah, for me, it's um, there's definitely a sense of responsibility that comes with uh, being a Palestinian, and then having these issues come up over and over and over again in classes and negotiations. For example, on the first module that you're hit with as a MPP student or in any other class where the topic of Israel-Palestine comes up all the time, and people do get involved and do speak as if they really have a grasp on, on the conflict. And I really felt that it's uh, a responsibility of mine to give some clarity. Uh, and I think this trek, one of the main goals is to do just that. We don't hide or shy away from the fact that we are only necessarily focused on, let's call it the Palestinian perspective. But that's that's because we deeply believe that that's the, the, the perspective and the narrative that's lacking here at the Kennedy School. And having seen what that does to students and how that changes the culture at the Kennedy School, once students are back, it's really further pushes me to continue this type of work.
2: Yeah, I, I think... I did not come to the Kennedy School expecting to take this role on. I mean, obviously, it's a very different it's a very different situation. I, I don't have some responsibility placed on me as someone from Maine. Obviously, it's quite different, uh, <laughs> but but still, at the same time, I, I mean, there is some parallel in the fact that I think rural America comes up a lot, especially in the last couple of years, uh, in different ways, including at the Kennedy School. And I think people do sometimes give the sense that like they have it all figured out. you know they have rural areas figured out, they have rural America figured out. And again, this is a, this is very much in the context of the 2016 election, which I think drove a lot of journalists kind of parading through rural America and on Safari to, to see what it's like out there. So I think I kind of grew a sense that maybe it would be worthwhile. Just spending just spending a few days with people in small towns, uh, bringing people from the Kennedy School just to just just to kind of show what it, what it's like to try to do work there. Um, again, it's different. There isn't like a, a a certain perspective I think we we needed to reveal, other than just like this is what it's like to live here and to do work here. And in some ways, it's maybe more complex than. People imagine in other ways, maybe not. Um, but I think I think certainly the the problems that people are trying to deal with in small towns are different than what we're necessarily focused on um, in our kind of like average scenario for a class, if that makes sense. But yeah, I, so I guess to your your original question, that that sense just kind of grew over time that that it would be worthwhile taking people back there.
1: That's really, that's really fascinating. I, yeah, I can't get over how important it is to get up close and personal to these places and how much that impacts the discussions that happen around policy and decisions. And I, you know, we, I think a lot about Brian Stevenson and saying you got to get proximate to the communities you want to work with. And so what does that proximity look like from a planning perspective? So for a lot of people, these are like their first touch points with these places, right? Um, Certainly, it was my first touch point um, with – Palestine and the West Bank. I think for a majority of the folks, it sounds like who went on your trip to Maine, they hadn't been to rural areas like that before. And so, how how do you, in the curation of an experience, differentiate yourself from what you'd mentioned as the, you know, parade of like eager journalists <laughs> traipsing through a place, trying to trying to figure it out? Yeah. You know, how do you deal with the responsibility of that?
2: That was extremely difficult in in a variety of ways. I mean, one very tangible way this came up was uh, we intentionally started the whole weekend with a meeting with uh, members of the immigrant community in the Portland area, which obviously is kind of a different take on probably Maine in general than than people would be used to. Uh, And it has a kind of specific relationship with rural areas. It's not necessarily what you would expect. And obviously Portland's not a rural area, but just getting that kind of perspective to start off the trip, I thought was, it turned out to be, I think, a valuable way to do it. But that was just kind of one meeting of, you know, a couple dozen where it's like, is this what we want to be telling people about? Like, is this what is gonna be useful for people to learn about? Or are they gonna actually give a perspective that is honest? I, I, that might be a hard way to put it, but just, I, I think there is a sense, well, there are a couple of things here. One is that I think there's a sense for people in smaller towns, when you get a group of people like this coming in from the outside, they want to convince you, I think, a certain to a certain extent that what they're doing is valuable that their town is valuable, yeah. that wow. their kind of way of life is like respectable and valuable. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that that might be projecting a little bit, but you definitely get the sense where I think it's people both want to share the challenges they face, but also they're proud about what they're doing and where they live. And that's both very important, I think, to show people, but that can also make it difficult to give an accurate view of a place when you're trying to, like, like you said, kind of curate the experience, it's it's tough to line things up right so that people come away with a full picture.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I don't know how you did it, but we always go back and forth uh, amongst ourselves and asking, asking whether this is the right way to do it, um, whether we should go to this refugee camp or not, what kind of experience do we want them to have. And I struggle with it a lot because I... Not in support of this sort of uh, voyeuristic uh, tourism or, or poverty tourism mm, in some yeah. cases as well. But at the same time, it, it's something that must be seen and I think can be done right. The struggle for me is with the numbers that we have. How can we <laughs> parade 120 people through a refugee camp is, is tough.
1: And there's a tension there too, right? Because you want to make it accessible. You want people to participate in this life-changing experience.
0: Exactly, yeah. But, you know, one thing I'll say is that that I I think Phoenix um, said is that these communities also want to be heard, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. even though there's a sense that I have, you know, as someone who is between uh, Palestine and the U.S., where I'm like, I want to be protective of these communities, um, they themselves... Feel this sense of we want to, to show people how we're living. Explain to them what challenges we're facing. Explain to them how we're thriving in some situations, uh, mm-hmm. etc. And I'm reminded of uh, Susia, this uh, yeah. very small uh, rural uh, in the southern Hebron Hills um, rural village that's been demolished over and over and over again. And you you get a sense of hope when you're there because they rely almost exclusively on foreign intervention. Mm-hmm. And so even though you're there and you're, you're seeing them living in these, these tents, essentially, and living in poverty, the only way that they've been able to stay in that area, and despite having their houses demolished over and over again, is because they've had foreigners come, volunteer, be present, lobby their congressmen and women, to intervene in one way or another. And so their their, their survival is dependent on this in a way.
1: Mm. And I remember in Susia, it was as important to see the sites of demolition as it was to see the sites of rebuilding. Mm-hmm. And I think seeing both of those together in close juxtaposition helped paint like a really like robust picture of a place. And I really struggle with this idea of authenticity, you know, like we say like, oh, to have an authentic experience, but like, Authentic for whom, you know, like it like assumes that there's this one. And I find often that like when we use the word authenticity, we're like looking for a kind of narrative to emerge that says more about the person seeking the authenticity than the person Mm. furnishing their life up for, you know, your consumption almost like like, I don't, want, I don't want to see what I think Palestine is or what I think Maine might be. I have so many, like, that's yeah. like an assumption-laden idea. So I just think you guys are doing a really incredible job here in terms of taking on this challenge of a place. Like, it doesn't have to be embroiled in, like, a painful history of international conflict. Like, it can just be a few miles up the freeway, and that it's worth seeing too. And it's not understood in the same way. And yet, like people are coming out of this place with tremendous power, power to make the kinds of decisions that like impact people on the ground there. And unless you see what those policies can do, you know, how are you going to wield that power right?
2: Yeah, this is just kind of seizing on one little piece there. But the authenticity thing is, is really tough. I, I mean, I feel that even personally, I think like I definitely put myself in like the main box a lot where I'm like, the person from Maine is kind of my chief identity in a lot of places here, because I I sort of choose to, uh, to make it that way. And I think that's just a little thing of like, I, I mean, that is true. And, and I do feel that very strongly. And it is an authentic part of my identity. But I think that also kind of speaks to how difficult it is when you're trying to tease out from, uh, I mean, dozens of people that you meet in a new place what is really the, the truth of the place and not just the face that they want to, to put on for people coming through for a few hours. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to, to figure out. And it's a tough thing for people at the Kennedy School to, I think, even be aware of that it's something they need to watch out for and also mm-hmm. try to learn how to come at people in a new place in such a way that makes them want to be real with you. I'm not sure that's something that we necessarily learn that well.
1: Oh, that's a huge point too. Yeah. Like th- like these trips are not, should not be the first and only, like it should not be the only touch point, right? Like it might be the first touch point, but it shouldn't be the only one. And what does yeah. like meaningful engagement with the place look like? Like just because I've seen, I've been to the West Bank for 10 days, like doesn't mean now that I know, you know what yeah. I mean? It just means that I have like a more like a closer starting point to knowing. And and you're right, like we do have to reconcile with the fact that like we're coming in as like a particular, from a particular place and people have their expectations about the place that we're coming from too. So just in the way of, of wrapping up here, what are the lessons you want folks who come on these treks to take away with them?
0: So it's a good question. I We try to not be so prescriptive with the lessons that we want people to of come course. away but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know ultimately there is a purpose to the trip and for people who will be working in policy this is a really important trip that i think will add value to their future decision making and the effects that it has on the communities that they visited you know in classes we're always talking about or, or in these cases that we usually cover um, some policymaker who has no idea about one particular area. And they will pull in an expert and, and ask them about tech policy or something like that, because they themselves don't know or have not been exposed to it. I think this trip is meant to expose people to Palestine in a way that gives them that um, something, something to reach out to. And my hope is simply t- for, for people to stay engaged. You know, I've noticed that before the trip, we have all of these events going on, Palestine related events, and I invite everyone in people tend to not show up as often after they've gone to Palestine. I, I still send these events in, in our WhatsApp group. Um, <laughs> and I see attendance uh, is much higher post-engagement than pre-engagement. And I think that is the the primary lesson is that, you know, for people to stay engaged and to continue learning, because it's um, I think Pratch, you said this earlier, it's just a touch point, it's one experience. It's impossible to get the whole picture in 10 days.
2: Yeah, I think for us on the main trek, we talked a fair amount about the the learning goals, the takeaways, that kind of thing for the, for the trip. And it was hard to really come up with any kind of one thing that really nailed it. I, I think for me, the, the kind of thing that really resonated for me, at least in terms of what I was hoping people would learn is one, just how things were different. That things are actually a little bit different when you're talking about working in a town of 5,000, 3,000, 1,000 people. That it's just, <laughs> yeah. they're just a little bit different things that you can do, things that need to be done, problems with the economy. It's just, there's just a lot of stuff that you just don't think about if you have never talked to anybody who works in one of those places. And... I just was hoping that people would kind of learn a little bit about those differences. And I guess ultimately so that people would be able to keep those things in mind when they are doing whatever work they're going to be doing in the coming years. Whether that's something that will directly affect people in rural areas or not, I think if people have that kind of thing just rattling around in their mind there, then they might they might just do a little bit better for people outside of their own circle. I think that was really the, the core Hope for for myself.
1: That's really, really well said, Phoenix. Thank you for that. And just I guess in the way of closing, I do also want to acknowledge that it is a financial privilege to get to go on these treks because it's worth it's worth mentioning that they're not funded by the university. And it, you know, depending on where you go, the costs might be a barrier. So, I
2: should say, folks. for for the most part, that is true. But for mine, because it was part of the seminar, it was luckily uh, sponsored by the Taubman Center. Oh
1: wow! So, yeah. Oh, um, get it, Taubman Center. Yeah, nice. yeah. Which is un, which is which is unusual. Which uh, is unusual. Can yeah. The wow. Taubman
0: Center fund. Uh, yeah, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll talk to them. <laughs>
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, and the pa- Palestine trek was subsidized. Part of it was subsidized? A
0: very, very small subsidy that right. comes through in the way of people hosting us for dinners right. and lunches and, right. and or gifts.
2: But right. yeah, the, gen- the general point is definitely true that there are a lot of these treks and a lot of them definitely are a financial burden, I would say, mm-hmm. for students.
1: Well, it's you know gives us a lot to think about and what makes an education and, and what makes people better able to serve others. So thank you both for being here. Once again, we've got our guest, Samar Hajud, here with us today. Thank you, Samar. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Samar.
2: Thanks. And
1: thank, thank you, thank you Phoenix.
2: Yeah, of course. Yes. Great to be here as always, Prachi. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, catch us next week, the Kennedy School Review Podcast.